Hello and welcome to the Enneagram Typecast, where we discuss how to use the Enneagram in everyday life. We're here to talk type, rituals for growth, and staying grounded, open, and curious in the process of self-discovery. I'm Lee Milligan. And I'm Karen Burley. And we're both professionally trained Enneagram teachers in the narrative tradition. We're so happy you're here, and we want you to feel like you're chatting with friends. So settle in as we offer what we've learned, some personal stories, and general nerding out about all things Enneagram. Hey guys, welcome back to the Enneagram Typecast. This is Lee. And this is Karen. So at the Enneagram Typecast, we love rituals, and we're going to start doing one every episode where we start on a high note or something we're excited about, looking forward to, or a win. We're not going to keep it super rigid because that's not our style, but uh, Karen, do you have do you have one for this week? Yeah, well, I have a big win. Um, this week, I officially got my Narrative Enneagram Teacher Certification. Woo! Yeah, it felt very official. So I now have the the cred, not just the street cred, but the actual paper cred to talk about this stuff. After Uh, a year and a half of of doing intensives with the narrative and doing all this stuff, it feels really good. I'm so happy for you. What about you? I am close behind you, but... Um, hopefully, hopefully I'll have that, that announcement soon, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go cheesy and say, I'm really looking forward to fall. Like it's starting to get cooler. Some, I took a really long walk yesterday in Laurelhurst park and like the ducks were out and all the leaves were turning gold. And I was like, yes, I am so ready for this. I'm not a girl who likes summer. So (laughs) it's just kind of like nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And this is good for our one episode because uh, other work for ones is looking for the good and looking for what's right and looking for what is already working. So I love looking forward to things with you. Yeah. We'll get our nine cozy sweaters on. (laughs) It'll be great. (laughs) And today we're talking about type ones. Ooh, type ones. Here we go. We'll be going through all nine types, but we are going in order. So today we're starting with type one, and they are often called the reformer, the idealist, or the perfectionist. I like how you said we're going in order because that's something that's really important to ones is making order out of chaos. Mm -hmm. And having just wrapped up our triad series, um, types eight, nine, and ones are part of the gut triad, and they're at the very top of the Enneagram symbol when you're looking at it. It's also known as the body or the gut center. And gut the, types the top. Are, yep. Oh, the body center's at the top. Yep, you're right. I'm being, my one wing is rearing its head and saying, well, the one is a little to the right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's basically where one, one would be on, on a clock. Yeah. <laughs> but the gut types are also referred to as the anger triad with eights expressing, nines denying, and ones suppressing. So type ones manifest anger as irritation and resentment and often believe anger is a negative emotion. Yeah. And it's so important to not have negative emotions because the core for a one is to always be good and never be bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At their best, ones are principled, honest, precise, detail-oriented, and really objective, hardworking people um, who are dependable, self-reliant, and practical. At their worst, they can be judgmental, overly critical of themselves or others, resentful, close-minded, and inflexible. Yeah. And so the habit of attention for type one is always on errors, mistakes, and what can be better. And also that about right and wrong, even though they might not recognize that this is where their attention is habitually going until they learn to tune in with a little more presence. Right. And just as ones like don't often relate to anger or think they're not an angry person, they can feel a little irritation or inflexibility or like sort of that that underlying bubbling anger. But also what you just said about the focus of attention is the right and wrong aspect. A lot of people get thrown off by that, too. A lot of ones relate more to hearing about what needs correcting or fixing. And it's really easy for them to assess and figure out what that is like instinctually. Yeah, they don't realize necessarily that they're judging things as right or wrong until they notice someone doing something that they think is wrong or themselves noticing 
if they're having an angry reaction and that feels wrong. Some ones are fine with anger, but other things just feel wrong or not right. And this is where I think we talked about in the body center conversation, anger pops up as a response to being against how things are. So ones are really constricting against the way things are and trying to apply an order, a system on top of it to say, no, this is right and this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can apply to like automatic things that we think of as right or wrong. But a lot of the rights and wrongs of ones are very um, particular to the individual. So it's not universal that all ones think this way or have a clean house or value order in certain areas. It, It can be really particular and unique to the one. Absolutely. And and a common thing with ones, though, is high standards. And so while maybe keeping a one room of your house super tidy isn't, uh, doesn't feel like a strength for someone who maybe does lead with type one, they might still have a standard of orderliness or, or consistency or responsibility that if they don't meet, there's this strong inner critic that comes out to berate them about it. Mm-hmm. Some gifts of the one is that they're very principled. So ones value integrity and want to lead by example. They stand for what is right and good. They're objective and conscientious people. So they're reliable and responsible. Ones tend to stick to their word. Um, Yeah. Yeah. See see things through to the end as well. Um, They're not afraid of putting in the effort. And I think ones Mm -hmm. have a lot of grit. They really are willing to push themselves to do the things that they set out to do. And they don't mind if it takes a whole lot of energy to do that. Yeah. Ones enjoy opportunities um, to structure things and are naturally adept at organizing, prioritizing, and creating order. So you can see how valuable like ones are to so many facets of life. And they also have this knack for detail. and will pay attention to um, quality standards and also the applications of rules and procedures. So like you said about being hardworking, it's not that they just have these beliefs and sit, sit around like they're actively participating in society and the world and like really trying to make things better. And it does come from a good place. They care so much. That's why, yeah, I think the ones and that I've, that I know are so genuine, they're so earnest and they're really just trying to make things better, which mm-hmm. we need. We need a lot of things to be better. Yeah. Some possible challenges for ones is ones can tend to be a little bit overly serious and might have a hard time relaxing. They criticize others for not measuring up to their standards and they may leave others feeling maybe like they were inadequate or hurt or they just have sort of a a tense kind of like feel about to them um, that don't always put everybody at ease. Yeah, Um, there's a rigidity. There's an inflexibility. What What one one on my panel said is that others found her incurious and so there's this while ones like to know a lot of information when they have it in their minds that this thing is the way to do it they're not curious about it they don't question they just assume that that's right and then everyone who isn't following that rule that they may have internally gets um can be either outwardly criticized or just have this kind of criticism be building up inside the one yeah And that's part of the work as a one is staying curious about why people are showing up the way they are doing things they are instead of just coming in with, you know, some of the critical black and white thinking of why aren't you doing this and this should be this way. And it's it's sort of an inflexible energy. Um, Yeah. And it's very principled. Integrity is really important to ones and having their principles, having their values. Um, Often ones will uh, have examples of why they think certain things they I know several ones who are like I can give you a clear example of why this is this way and I think that the principles and values are so important to them that they Mm want to then feed that with information to make sure that it's valid yeah that's a really good way of putting it also like a lot of ones I've heard say like you know the old uh I don't know, is it a proverb or saying whatever it is um, that is, you know, it's not worth doing if it's not done correctly, that old, that old thing. Yeah. Um, And it also like, I shouldn't delegate to others because I'm just going to do it better than anyone could. So why would I have someone even try when I'm the only one who knows how to do it right? I think one of the stereotypes of ones that aren't always helpful, but um, sometimes it resonates with people is especially ones or who uh, take on a domestic role in their home 
um, may, may have a way of loading the dishwasher or a way of cleaning the bathroom or a way of doing things that they know to be right um, without bringing curiosity and can be really irritated when their partner or housemate or someone they're living with doesn't do it that way. Yeah. They set very high standards for themselves, but also for others. And they tend to hold themselves and others accountable. Yes. So you will either hear about it or you'll feel the tenseness from a one if you're not doing things to their standards. And other ones have told me too, like it can just come up from an organic sort of sweet place that if they see you doing something and they know or what they think or they perceive as a better way to do something, whether it's, you know, more, you know, it's more time efficient or it's more aesthetically pleasing or whatever it happens to be. They just feel inclined to tell you because they deep down want to help. And for some people that is, you know, unsolicited advice. And for other people they're like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. Thanks. I'll do that now. And they're like, yeah, no worries. Yeah. Yeah. This, this honesty, this kind of bluntness at times can um, not always be received well, but when you have a one who does care and, and who has modeled their integrity so much to those around them that people do want to know what they think uh, it can be really helpful because they'll, have sometimes a list or a very clear set of bullet points or they'll do their research and say this this and this this is what you want to do yeah let's talk a little bit about anger yeah so even though ones uh, may experience a lot of anger they rarely express it outwardly and it's most commonly turned inward and pushed down so but when anger, when their anger ex- is expressed, it's more likely to be in moments of like irritation or resentment for those that they deemed like unethical or failing to meet one of their own standards. Um, but when it's turned inward, that's when a lot of that inner critic stuff comes up, right? Yeah. So there's like that sense of righteousness of I I know that something's wrong that can happen, and how I hear it experienced by the, by ones is is really physical. It's really visceral. There's a tightening a clamping down, a clenching, or just a physical discomfort that cues ones in when they're in tune with their body to, to even just a little bit. Like I work with a lot of people to um, get more in their bodies and ones, as soon as they drop in, they like are very in tune with what is tense and very in tune with what's clamped down. So that can be a, a helpful reminder that this pattern is starting. What they don't always realize is that there is an emotion attached to why they're physically feeling that way and it can take ones a lot of learning to have the emotional vocabulary to say oh that upset me that made me angry that made me I'm tensing because I'm having an emotional reaction right now mm-hmm. and again it's uh, we're going to bring this up all the time but it's really taking when you're feeling those things happening it's taking the pause and assessing what's happening here um So even though ones are highly self-critical, they do not respond well to criticism from others. So I like to think of this as ones as like, ones are already so hard on themselves and the inner critic, you know, is feeding them information that may not even be true, that like, you're not good enough, you're not doing this right. Like, you know, a whole lot of negative feedback circulating in there. Um, And so I always think like, you don't often need to criticize a one because they are already doing that to themselves. And also they're trying really hard all the time to do the best at what they're doing. So often, um, while they may be a little more firm handed with other people, I was like soft hand with a one. Yeah, it's like getting curious about what value they feel like they're playing out because sometimes when they come back to it, they can realize, oh, I got off course or how do I root this in the value and as opposed to criticizing the behavior because if they can come back into integrity, that's going to be a a better process for them. Uh, It can be difficult sometimes because they get so stuck in what they think is right that they'll lose sight of why they think it's right or what's going on and then they get really heady and explain it. So I know when, uh, when we're feeling like we want to want to be curious about a one, starting to recognize, and we each type has this pattern of avoidance, and what they're working so so hard on, so effortfully, and so much energy is going into never getting things wrong and not being wrong and and being good instead. The avoidance of tra- of being wrong is so strong that if you say, "Hey, you're wrong." They're probably going to be defensive because Mm -hmm. everything they're doing is in service of not. So honoring how hard they're working, honoring how much they care, and then being curious about like, hey, 
where is this coming from? Like, I, I know your intentions are good. Mm-hmm. I think it's really helpful for ones to be heard in that I know your intentions are good. And if you have relationship enough with the one to give some feedback, asking permission, I think this goes for most of us, but for ones and twos, I would say in particular, but asking permission to share or reflect what you're experiencing um, as, so it doesn't sound so critical. Yeah, you're just like, I'm seeing this. Is this what's happening for you? Or just, you know, I think that's that's a really good thing to do with ones. Ones will also um, tend, when they are angry or when anger builds, uh, ones tend to become physically rigid and extremely polite. And so that might also be confusing to others because that's called reaction formation. And it's kind of like projecting the opposite to the world of what you're feeling internally to sort of keep the calm. Yeah, and to be yeah. appropriate and to mm-hmm. model, like ones are big teachers and modelers. So they really want to be showing what they think uh, the world should be. And um, it can come out as being polite, being nice, being sweet, being, uh, you know, uh, appropriate. And so if you, know to, if you know that there's a one in your life and you notice that they're being overly sweet or, um, but you can feel the tension, mm-hmm. inviting them in to say, you know, it's okay if you're angry with me, or it's okay if you don't actually like what's going on here. Um, Giving them permission can be a huge relief for them, because often they don't feel safe, or they feel like they might be punished if they show how they're actually feeling. Yeah, and in my experience, it's just like, it's the cherry on top of the Sunday. Like, if if you've just done this whole thing, you're like, I'm already trying so hard. I'm trying to get this. I'm trying to do this. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And then, you know, on top of it, I need to look perfect, behave perfect, even though I'm having a crap day or I am angry or things are not going my way. Like, just embracing a little bit of humanity. We're all flawed. Everything's not going to be right all the time. Breathing it in and like, yeah, it's just a lot for one. Yeah, but I find actually giving one space um, to sit with that, it's really, it takes a really healthy one to be seen in their anger, to be seen in their, in in how upset they get about things. And often ones will tell me that, like, I need space, I need to go breathe, I need to calm down. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Ideally, people would have spaces or partnerships or therapists or coaches where they can practice being seen even when it's messy. But ones are so wired to not show the mess and to not be inappropriate and to not do anything wrong that it's um, they can start by doing that in their own space. What's tricky with ones is to not get rigid about their self-improvement, about, oh, well, I shouldn't be angry, so I should do deep breathing and I should do all these things. Um, Or even to the alternative, like, I should show all my anger all of the time. And there's still a rigidity to being able to pause, as Lee always says. And I, I think a lot about discernment of what, um, what is appropriate, what is safe enough to show that maybe isn't comfortable, but it's still taking into account that I do have an impact regardless of how good my intentions are. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about wings? Let's talk about wings. (laughs) Okay. In case you're new to the Enneagram, everybody, every type on the Enneagram has a set of wings. And it is easy to remember because it's the number to your left or to your right. And if we're thinking about the circle here. So um, so after nine, we go back to one. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you who don't know, us, Lee and I are both nines. Mm -hmm. So we both are and may have a one wing. It's I tend to believe we've got both of them. I think I do too. People, yeah. And even I've heard it talked about that the type itself is the tension between their two wings. Mm-hmm. I've heard that as well. I kind of like that too, because a lot of times the number you're next to, you don't really relate to that much. And as you sort of lean that way or pull from some of the strengths or things over there, um, you get to know your neighbor, right? Um, and, yeah. And it's a yeah. huge resource. Like we think of actual neighbor, my, my neighbor a couple of weeks ago, I knocked on the door and asked if I had an egg because they were making brownies and didn't have an egg and didn't want to go to the store. And I had something they didn't have and was able to share that resource. And it was a really nice compliment. So I think of all of the types that we're connected to, that our points are connected to as some of our most accessible resources, even if they might not look like how we show up all the time. Yeah. So if we back up just a little bit, 
if you just talk about type ones, you've got the nine wing to one side and the two wing on your other side. And then the two other numbers that one is connected to are type seven and four. And that's on line movements. And we can talk about that in a minute. But just right there, you're already connected to four other numbers. So you have a lot of movement around the Enneagram, around the circle. And that's one of the things I love about the Enneagram is there is like this fluidity to it. There's movements for reasons and drawing, like you said, on resources and strengths that you might need around you. And you're not stuck in this one place in a box. Yes. And I, I love that so much, too, because a lot of times people will be like, well, I'm definitely this one type and now I'm stuck like this forever. If you say I'm always going to have my core type and what oh, I can't fix it, um, but we can resource it. We can resource our patterns. Our, our core patterns are just what's what's most familiar and what's most effective and efficient in what we've needed to uh, protect ourselves from in the past. So resource points are huge. And I think so much of the work of using the Enneagram is about feeling resourced by your types, gifts, and strengths and feeling resourced by the other points, feeling resourced by the relationships that you have and how you engage with the world. It's, I, I, I don't I like that word a lot. Yeah. Um, I like and I like the I mean we we really can access all nine points but those four points that our type is connected to are the easiest places to start mm-hmm. um I used to think I was a more centered nine but I definitely now lean or feel more accepted in being a nine wing eight as opposed to a nine wing one and I'll get into a little bit of the sort of high level how those are described but Karen is more of a one wing Mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean like she said we can pull from both so let me tell you about a one with more of a nine wing well how do I want to put this <laughs> <laughs> they have an intense need and drive to correct and improve things but it's a little toned down so the nine invites the one to be more relaxed um, they can be a little bit more trusting and accepting of others they can be a little bit less rigid and go with the flow and they're able to hold more viewpoints and be more collaborative yeah, I think of them as they're a little more daydreamy, a little more idealistic in 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 as because a nine is a withdrawing type. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little more removed, like I'm in my head in this pleasant idea that I have, as opposed to needing to act on it all the time. Yeah. So some challenges for the ones with nine wings is this may make ones less resourceful or prone to putting off important tasks. Uh, tasks. They may uh, neglect things which are important but difficult and the nine wing influences ones to focus less on themselves and more on uh, what needs to be done which may lead to self-neglecting. Oh yeah, we I know about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're getting a little nine flavor on your one basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So ones um, who have a more developed two wing Um, The critical attitude of the one is tempered by compassion and understanding of others. So the two brings acceptance of limitation and that the ones can't fix the world. Idealism is expressed constructively uh, in the form of service to others. And the two brings a warmth or a fire to the one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, this is more when when you have a cause that you really want to fight for. The, The two wing can help. Um, both the ones and twos, we'll probably talk about this in a moment, but are in the compliant or dependent stance. Mm-hmm. And they're moving toward others. They're moving toward what's happening in this moment. So they're, um, they've got a little more, like you said, fire energy than nine, as we'll get into eventually. And you might even hear it in both me and Lee, because that's where we come from, that there's a little bit slower, a little less energy, and it can be hard to act. Um, whereas ones and twos both have some drive for the things that they care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of ones and twos just in general are just like, they just get stuff done, they're moving, they're making things happen for other people. Like, it's just, it's just got a little bit more energy to it. They might also face some challenges with a two wing. So the two wing makes ones more prone to feeling hurt in their efforts when they're not appreciated. Um, their desire to shift to wanting to improve people and situations to feel worthwhile and accepted. And they feel victimized or taken advantage of even, even if they sacrifice their own needs. So that's the flavor of the two rubbing off on the one there. 
Yeah, they want so much to be useful. They want to be so useful. And there's kind of this double resentment because twos have a, a different version of resentment that can come up when their efforts aren't appreciated. Whereas a lot of times, one, when they're kind of more solid in their oneness, will do really hard work. And maybe they like a, a thank you or a an, an acknowledgement, but they're really doing it to stand up to meet their own principles, to meet their own standards. But the two flavor comes in and says, well, I also really need approval for what I've done. And I really need it from you. And I need you to be giving me positive feedback. Mm -hmm. And then the feelings are coming up because we're dipping our toe across the line into the feeling triad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So double body versus body plus feeling. That's right. Yeah. Do we want to talk about that vice virtue situation? Go for it. Yeah, so we've been talking a bit about anger and um, the way that they teach in the narrative. We mentioned the habit of attention. They also, we talk about this habit of emotion, which is what happens when our type fixated and they there's an emotional experience. Not all of them are emotion words, so it's hard to grasp, but the ones is. And the passion here is known as anger. So um, again, ones don't always relate to this word or like this word, but it really is this sense. I think it's also called resentment um, Mm -hmm. where it's just, I don't like how things are. Things are not right. There are things that are not right in the world. And there's this emotional experience of anger about it. And this compulsion here to do something about it, um, to to reform it because that's what ones want to do. Yeah. And the virtue to that is serenity, which is a, is a lofty goal, right? (laughs) We all have a little one in us and we all desperately want a little serenity now and then. And so that's like what we're, that's the goal, right? And that's what we're talking about. And while serenity is a, is a large word, um, it's, it's also just a little bit of peace, right? It's really acceptance. It's, Mm -hmm. and and I think the serenity prayer gets um, mentioned a lot around ones, which I like, but then I'm like, no, they're now getting credit for all the things, which the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. That really is it. But then there also is the discernment, um, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. To know the difference. And I too like it and don't like it, but it's so good for one. Good is good enough. You know, good is better than perfect appreciate now and quit worrying about how to fix it or how to improve on it and just sort of be um, and be okay with it deep down because really if ones want to play they want to be free they want to be loose they want to be flexible there's this real drive for us um, that we might experience even if we don't know our our type or the enneagram or any of that of this longing for more freedom and for more expression of ourself without having it fixated without getting stuck in one particular pattern and i've known ones who are who love dancing love playing love getting like taking adventures um and this is a longing in there that gets there's like a stopgap when our type is running so strongly um, where they don't get to experience the free flowingness of life because they're constricting around these little details or these things that aren't quite right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, some line movements and stress and growth then, because we're touching on some seven stuff here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So connecting points for one are in four in the feeling heart center and with seven in the thinking and head center. And sometimes it's talked about in growth or security. I kind of like security, but ones will move to seven. And when you make this line movement, you are not becoming a seven, but you are taking on that numbers. You can take on positive attributes or negative attributes in this movement, but you're just visiting. You're briefly, you're, you're moving. Yeah. It's like wings. Like imagine you were walking on a balance beam and you had your, your arms out in both directions. You're, you're not, you know, if you're balanced, if you're more in your center, you don't need your wings. But if you are starting to lean, you're going to need the help of the balance of the, this, these wing points. So when you're reaching for seven, there's, there's something there that you need. Yeah. And also I guess that's not a good analogy for when you're relaxed and you move there, but I think of it, these are again, resource points. And one of my teachers, Abby Robbins at Conscious Enneagram mm-hmm. um, is an amazing teacher. And they talk about, they call them um, 
refuge point and vantage point. Mm. And so the seven for the type one would be the, the vantage point where um, you've got a, another point of view that's really helpful. So this playfulness spirit, this um, f- free-flowing like adventure, risk-taking, like yeah. more exuberant energy is this huge and the gift when no one can access that. Yeah. So I think like when I think of growth and insecurity, I, I also heard another person, I, don't, I can't remember who it was, but they described it as rest or just being at ease with the people who are around you. So like ones may look very different at home than they do at work and that could be due to stress, et cetera. But there's also just like this movement to seven. I think uh, it's not like you're becoming a better version of a one. It's just you're, you're, you're relaxing a little bit. And sevens can offer them a way towards rather than against pleasure. So ones are sort of pleasure denying. Like, no, I'll get to that later. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. Like, you know, no. and all of a sudden when you, when you, when you have that shift, if there's a little bit more like out of the box thinking like a seven, um, making pleasure the ones like, seeking. yeah, pleasure seeking, more relaxed, energized and playful, like you said. This yeah. is also, there's a concept of the soul child, which I don't, I haven't read extensively about, but how I've come to understand it recently is that this is a part of us that we shove down as little kids because it doesn't fit our self-concept. So for ones, they shove down this kind of irresponsible, overly playful, um, not good at keeping their word or they'll get distracted and they won't finish things and they won't be disciplined and they won't this this kind of seven energy mm-hmm. they shove that aside because ones think of themselves as really responsible and principled and all these things we've said so that doesn't fit the self-concept and as we get older and start to be more curious about what else is here instead of just the patterns when you access what you've pushed down for a long time it can be uh, it can be hard. It can be hard to accept that as part of yourself because our whole type structures are here as a coherent, con- con- like giving us continuity for our experience of ourself. And if you say, well, I'm really disciplined and I do the things I say I'm going to do. And mm-hmm. that's how I am. That's who I am. Then it's really hard to say, and sometimes I want to play and I blow things off and I want to be risky and I want to like, it's yes. hard to fit those things together, which is why I find the Enneagram so helpful because it's like, oh, right, there's your resource of seven. Yeah. And yeah, you can also take away some of the negative sides of seven as well. So I've heard one say um, like a negative way of going to seven is they can get in sort of an analysis paralysis zone, like glutting out on information. um, And like, it's just, it's a lot. So they're already dealing with a lot as a one. And then some of the negative stuff of seven is like, well, should I do this? Should I do this? There's so many options, you know, and then yeah you can get a little stuck there yeah I think it's worth mentioning too and I'm like I'm like it's so out of order but if you're with us you're you know this is like a ramble banter podcast yeah (laughs) so well I'm my again I'm like quelling my one wing I'm like it doesn't have to be perfect ones are body types parading as head types is how our one of our teachers Dale Rhodes uh, describes it because we don't really get taught to feel our body's feelings. We often get told from a young age, like, well, you're not hungry, you just ate, or you're not tired, you just, like, we get told not to listen to our body. Mm-hmm. And um, ones, because they're trying to be so good at, at following the rules and, and knowing all the things, they, they'll clamp down the body and try to go up into their head to make sense of things, because that seems like the good way to deal with it. And they'll often get a lot of tension right in their neck, jaw, mm-hmm. uh, shoulder area, because it's like all this information from their body um, is not being allowed up and they're trying to live from their head. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that be called like unproductive thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot of like, yeah, the the surveying people, then the self-doubt coming in, asking other people, like having too many options or not wanting to present like work till it's perfect, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. And kind of like even though there's part of them that feels really clear in their body there's part that is looking for an authority figure or like a um, way to validate and and I think when we talk about the head it's a lot of like we we have this real need for validation and Mm -hmm. and using good information to validate what we think and feel and what we've what we've observed so ones are doing that a lot they're constantly trying to validate their feelings but when they recognize themselves as a one and know that they're a body type they can recognize that they're 
getting a lot of information from their body directly. From their gut, yeah. And a lot of times, like for once, those gut reactions are right. And a lot of times you are right and your opinion does need to be heard. So it's really important to speak up. Um, also, if you have ones in your life, partners, friends, whoever, um, like you said, just allowing them either either backing them up you know, and being like, actually, you are right about that. And like, and then they can whew, like, finally, like, let it go a little bit, or also giving them permission to play. Because mm-hmm. um, some of the most fun party nights I've had um, were with ones, ones, like, it's not like textbook, but like, ones are hilarious. And if you give them permission, you're like, actually, no, we're going to put work down, and we're going to go out and have fun tonight, and you're going to stop working. And they're like, no, I can't, I can't. I'm like, but yes, and you are. Mm-hmm. And then then it's like, it's, you know, the whole joke about ones on vacations, like, once there's like nothing to worry about, and everything's in motion, and we're having fun, like, that's, again, one going to seven, so I'm a little bit too, but it's just like, it's ones are hilarious. And they're so fun to be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, they have all this, all these examples and all this information, they can be really good storytellers and speakers. And uh, I think Brene Brown identifies as a one and she's got this you know, real need for data and validation that she puts into her work, but also um, got a real sense of humor and a real story to tell. So I think that's uh, important yeah. to think about with ones. Should we talk about the movement to four? Sure. So moving to four in stress for a one, um, it might make them look a little bit more bitter or melancholy on the outside. So ones can seep into a depression here in four. They can refuse to engage with the world or they can feel really under underappreciated and misunderstood um, about their hard work and motives, but it can also offer a way and a value, a a way for ones to value beauty and individualism rather than just order and service is how I think about it. Yeah. And I think about at four, they're willing to indulge themselves and kind of allow themselves the, the, the more sensual pleasure and the more emotional needs that they have. A lot of ones, they've got a lot going on with this, um, body and mind connection that their hearts Mm -hmm. get left out and they often like won't again like won't have the language or the precision that they want when it comes to emotions because emotions sometimes feel messy and imprecise and when they're at four they can actually yeah like you said enjoy beauty and art music really get in touch with their emotional qualities without it only being irritation because the low side of four for a one is like well, I feel these things in my body and that must mean like, or I feel emotionally like annoyed or upset or whatever. And that must mean I'm right because I'm having a strong uh, feeling, but there's a difference between a a physical feeling in the body, like a sensation Mm -hmm. and an emotion. And so parsing those out can be tricky for ones. Again, I don't think we're taught this very well. So they can have to really do some parsing here of what is a physical sensation and what is an emotional experience. Yeah. And I just think about like anger turning into sadness. Um, mm-hmm. I often, yeah, I oftentimes like when I say any movement to forward or, or like just going to sit in your emotions can feel like you're sitting in a sad little puddle um, and there is no escape and I'll be here forever. But really I think the movement to four is really helpful to ones to feel the deeper feelings and just to process those like a lot of it, just like see how things come up. You've been doing so much. What if you just paused for a minute and, and just got in touch with yourself and, and how you're actually doing? Yeah. Um, there's so much grief. As simple as, yeah. All of us do, but, and, and I don't, I, I don't think our early childhood experiences create our type, but often ones feel like they had to be the parent. They had to be the responsible one. They had yeah. to be effective from the beginning. And, um, there's a lot of grief. If you pause long enough to think about how I didn't get to play, I didn't get to experience my childhood in this way that maybe I think is the right way to have a life. And there's a whole lot of grief there that, um, and we all, you know, lose parts of ourselves through our type. Um, So sitting with grief is a big practice. Yeah. And there's some resentment there too. And a a lot of one's self-worth is determined by like, well, I'm lovable for doing all these things that, you know, are making the world better. And if I'm not, you know, they, they can feel hopeless um, or longing for what they don't have it for too. So like I'm doing all this and yet Mm. it's not going right or I'm wrong or I'm broken or something, you know. Yeah, that never enoughness. There's a real parallel with one and four. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a connection here between one and four where ones are really afraid that they're somehow defective. And fours are, are really afraid that they're somehow like broken. So there's that's similar, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this indulgence in that feeling like fours are willing to wallow in it and to be a victim. I think a one without that resource of four really hates the idea of victimhood. Um, they they want to keep going there. Um, we should talk about the, the competency <laughs> triad. Yeah. Um, but four is willing to say, no, there's something wrong in, inside. There's something that doesn't feel right and nobody understands and nobody can assuage my my concern that there's something deeply wrong with me. Yeah. So I think you're speaking a little bit, the dutiful triad called the idealist. They, they hold a version of the way the world could be. It's Don Riso and Russ Hudson call these types, um, the frustration triad. Mm-hmm. Um, as they tell us like how life fails to reach the idealized view of uh, these utopian possibilities. Um, the world just doesn't match their ideals. Um, and yeah. yeah, it's interesting um, that like I've heard that ones, fours and sevens who, who are in this triad uh, come in with a sense. They, they are so irritable and frustrated often because internally they have this sense of idealism. I was just talking to someone who's likely a four who it's like, well, I learned to not trust my idealism, but it's so, so clear at first. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the other types um, are more relational or more the attachment and the rejection types are really taking cues from others. Whereas the ones, fours and sevens are like, they've got this clarity internally. And ones are like seeking that perfect world according to their internal standards, um, the way things ought to be. And the frustration is that it's not happening, right? So this is why you see so many like social justice, political people, like a lot of people who are, who are doing things to make the world better are ones. And it's from a good place, but it's also like this like humming of like, I, I can improve this. We can make this better. We can be better people. Which the flip side, when that's not held in with, with some space and with some breathing room is just being really critical and naming all of the ways people aren't showing up the way they they think they should. There's a lot of, um, you know, I've been engaging in in a lot of anti-racism work and a lot of it among white people is that we are judging each other on how to be anti-racist in this really like critical, cruel way. And this fear of somehow doing it wrong or causing harm or not being useful is in, is part of this kind of whiteness indoctrination of, of that is um, not a healthy expression of what could be like you were saying the flip side is this hum that that I can make a difference and I have power here and I can do the things I can do and I should do them because they're they feel right to me mm-hmm. um, so watching for where it flips from this really good intention this clarity that something needs to be done into well it, and it has to be done this specific way or else it's not good at all yeah and I think we uh, in the body center but ones specifically there can be this urgency and also black and white thinking um and all of us do this in stress but it's i think it's particular to the body types and the one or it's especially noticeable well they'll go into black and white thinking so if it's not all good then it's it's bad mm-hmm. yeah one last thing about the the dutiful types um those are one twos and sixes and they move towards people so that's like kind of that activated thing but there's also the i've also heard it's like moving towards but then reconciling Mm -hmm. so it's like like what you're saying like trying to do good things but also at a certain point realizing like doing a little bit of something is better than doing nothing you know doing doing it as much as i can this month and on this is it's like okay and then like you're constantly checking in so it's a i think dale described it as like a lot of break gas action <laughs> yes he tells them scanners yeah. what, yeah. they're also sometimes called the compliant um or the dependent stance but i like dutiful and and because yeah. they really take a lot of responsibility and they're scanning the other people for information on do we go forward do we go back do we go forward do we go back so you can hear, you can feel with if you're like foot ready on the gas and brake at all times that there is kind of an undercurrent of anxiety here. Yeah. 
but and, there's also like this great social we aspect to it where you're like are we doing this together are we going you know and it's like nice to survey other people and sometimes not be like a bull and just mm-hmm. charge forward with your agenda but it, you know that's how I think of it yeah totally so there's this kind of I feel like these types of ones twos and sixes are, are they they do their daily tasks like they're kind of got that going on um and there's an appropriateness and a a way of of this hum of activity because they want to be ready for they want to have those things taken care of to be ready for when they do have to spring into action or to not have to deal with them if they want to rest Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um oh i wanted to mention the competency triad i love all the triads the the (laughs) anagram so triadic and i like that more than than like a binary system or a duality yeah um but the competency triad is uh, types one, three, and five, and sometimes called rational competency. This is a way they manage stress or conflict is they want to be unemotional if, if possible and really objective and have and do a good job. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so if being effective is really important to these to these three types. And ones do that by um Again, they're order creators, even if it's not in a tangible space. So they want to have a system. They want to have, um, they want to know what do we do without getting overly emotional. Yeah. And all three of those types would rather stay a little bit more serious, a little more straightforward, um, and not get heavily emotionally, not be super aggressive or, um, yeah, overly dramatic. It's just sort of a sensible argument, argument style. A lot of them will also be like, I'm not ready to have this conversation. Can we have it later? <laughs> Which is, you know, <laughs> amazing because most of us, you know, have our emotions well up or something comes out and that can happen too. But um, yeah. Yeah. With the one, there's a tension there because sometimes that urgency of the ones of being a compliant type and of kind of feeling unsettled might want to solve things right away. But when it comes to emotions, they, they often don't have access in the moment without a lot of practice. So they can be like, yeah, I can't, I can't figure this out with my head right now because I haven't given myself space to feel. So back up, please. <laughs> and that is always a good move, by the way, just to be like, I'm not really ready to talk about this and talk about something when you are ready to, or you've had enough time to calm down or reassess, you know. Um, yeah. So or just anything. communicating what you need. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's this denial of the feelings in the one, the, mm. um, and they, they want to work with the system. So like they want to be good in the system. So they get irritated with the people who don't follow the rules. Um, whereas, you know, threes and fives do this in a different way. Like fives might totally reject the system if they, they want to be outside mm-hmm. of it. And threes are going to work the system. So they're going to um, they're going to use it when the rules help them and they're not going to use it when they don't. And this has been the wisdom of the Enneagram that Russ Hudson, Don Rudso, um, big blue book. Big blue book. Big blue book. So yeah, ones really want to be within the system. And I think this is how they have the power to transform systems when they're um, they're in alignment with their own truth and they're able to push things forward and reform uh, things on a systems level by staying in it. Whereas someone else might go outside of these systems or create new systems or overpower systems. Ones often like to do work from within. Do you want to talk about subtypes? Oof, I don't know if we, I don't know if I want to talk about subtypes. Okay, what do you we can think? save that. We can say we've dropped a lot of knowledge. I feel like we can get into um, subtypes. If you guys don't know what subtypes are, um, it's pairing your core type with your instinctual variant stack. So let's, and, yeah, we'll do a whole yeah. episode on yeah. just the instincts, and then maybe we'll go. You know, the the fun thing about the Enneagram is there's so much. So hopefully we'll mm-hmm. have like a hundred episodes or more, and we'll get into yeah. all of it. Cool. Yeah, so subtypes are definitely a whole area of where we can see difference, just like the wings, like you were talking about before. Um, And again, I think it bears repeating that these are just patterns. These are habits of how our consciousness gets fixated. It is not to say that all ones are going to be the same. I've seen ones look really different, hold themselves different. I think there's um, a lot of ones with the rigidity and 
and uh, it might experience it in their body and hold themselves upright and really put focus on pulling their head up and their back and shoulders back and their back straight or sitting up straight and tall. I think of, I was in band and um, I played the saxophone, uh, but like, uh, like the clarinets I'm picking up, like you sit on the edge of the chair, you know, for all these instruments so that you can sit up nice and tall. And I think a lot of ones move through the world that way, but I've known ones that don't, that um, hold their tension in a different way in their bodies. And I learned a fun thing about our body parts uh, that you <laughs> wanted to share. Um, apparently, according to San- Sandra Maitri, who is an author and um, has been studying the Enneagram for many decades, uh, who learned directly from Claudio Naranjo, um, where we should some do some sort of like history episode at some point. It's less yeah. interesting to me than than this stuff. But um, she was a guest teacher for me recently, and she she told us that uh, the body part related to the type one is the mouth, and uh, apparently, you know, they tend to chew on problems. Mm-hmm. They tend to uh, hold a lot of tension in their jaw. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a lot of ones will have like, what's it? Is it TMJ? TMJ. Yep. And uh, bite guards. I was on a panel one time and it was like, how many, how many people in the room are ones? Keep your hands up. It was like, how many people wear a bite guard? And it was like the same people. Yeah. Like grinding their teeth. Yeah, yeah. totally. So there's, there's this um, chewing going on in the, in the one in a, you know, maybe sometimes physical, sometimes metaphorical way. But I thought that was really interesting that there is a body part associated with each of the types, according to teachings by Claudio Naranjo. Yeah, that's really cool. I can definitely, definitely relate to that too, having, mm-hmm. having a one wing. <laughs> yeah, oh, I yeah. want to mention too about the wings. I find like my one wing would sh- show up at work for me a lot. Mm. Um, whereas it didn't really come into play at home. Um, it, it, it happens, you know, I tend to not realize I have really high standards for things until I'm super stressed about it and, and trying to perfect it. But mm-hmm. at work, that was really clear. And um, I my background's in social work and working in nonprofits and really wanting to do good work and to have clean systems and to have people experience the impact of that I wanted for them mm-hmm. <laughs> which um, was sometimes achievable and sometimes not but yeah. it would really show up strong at times so our wings can do that our instincts are a little more um we'll do that as well like context specific yeah. but I think uh I I think I've been mistaken for a one a couple of times which I always think is very silly because I'm like I'm not a one <laughs> But, you know, I have those one tendencies and they help rebalance me into recognizing that I really do care that things are important. And ones really will talk about in their work and in their life about the impact they want to have. So if you're trying to spot a one or support a one, get them Mm -hmm. talking about why what they do matters to them. And as a nine, I appreciate that because they're very clear often on why they're doing what they're doing. I related that to, I'm not going to tell my story a hundred times on this, but I did mistype as a one for a year. I thought it was a one wing two because of <laughs> counter types, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, and then uh, it just turns out, no, I just do it. I have a lot of, and there's nothing wrong with having high expectations. There's nothing wrong with wanting clear deliverables. There's nothing wrong with people wanting people to be on time. It's, you know, um, I mean, there's one in all of us, right? So. Yeah, yeah, but for ones overall, they're the, they're this tension between the nine who wants to be really like slow moving and go with the flow, and the two who really wants to serve others in a way that is gonna get them approval. And um, you see that with the one, like you see the tension there of well, I want to do whatever I want. There's an autonomy piece. And not be told what to do, and and kind of re- stubbornly resist when I'm told what I want to do, what I should do, and I don't want to, and also really caring deeply about people and service. And this Dale talks about how much they want to be useful, mm-hmm. and in this practical kind of way. So often ones will say like, "I'm very practical," mm-hmm. and it's, it's a point of pride, right? Yeah. That's our ones. I'd like to talk really briefly about some ways to, if you are a one or you identify with this episode and you want to say like, 
okay, now what? Um, some things that I think ones can work on or some rituals that you could get into your everyday practice. You want me to go through a couple of those? Please. Okay. Give us the useful things. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a great thing, and this can apply to other numbers as well, but what I like to say for ones is to practice relaxation and a good somatic practice is just to allow yourself to feel pleasure while breathing and focusing on the breath. So meditation is great for this. Yoga is great for this. I tend to say to do these as isolated or solo practices for ones um, because it's just a little bit more grounding. There's no comparing yourself to others in a classroom. There's nothing to be distracted or outside irritants getting getting in the way. So I think that's a really good practice. Another one, if you're a little bit more into your body, uh, there's these things called rage rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like getting the chaos and the movement into your body. So you can go smash plates. You can hit things with foam bats. You can go into, I don't know, the woods and do primal screaming, whatever works for you in, in sort of like a physical practice you can get all that negative energy out and it feels good. Just like get it out of your body. Yes. Can I add a couple of practices? Oh, go for one? yeah. I got a couple more too. Keep going. Perfect. Um, so one is a welcoming practice. So learning to name your emotions and just welcome them. And this is a, a meditation practice often of just acknowledging them, welcoming them, maybe inviting them in for tea, especially if they're ones you particularly struggle with, maybe anger. Also naming your inner critic and welcoming. Yes. Um, separating the, these parts. I, I just love parts work. I'm not fully formally trained in internal family systems, but I love I love the work uh, that I know of, of that. There's a new book I really want to read called No Bad Parts. And I mm-hmm. really find, I still, you know, having dialogue, having conversation with different parts of yourself, and especially those parts that we tend to push away and reject because the resistance makes them have so much power over us. So welcoming practice. And then my other tip for ones is do less. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself, what can I let go of? What does not need my energy right now? I, I think um, ones can be very good at checking everything off their list. Or maybe they make way too long of a list and they're constantly yeah. ruminating on um, what they should be doing and how they could do more and, and be better. So um, one of my clients who's a one, I, I always say, now check in with yourself and decide if this is if this is good or if you need to do less. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of uh, the ways you can do that is, um, okay, name dropping all the things that I'm <laughs> reading and thinking about reading. Do it. There's a book called uh, Why Bother by Jen Loudon, who I learned is into the Enneagram and is a four, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but she offers this practice called uh, Conditions of Enoughness. And it's all about, mm. not about the outcome, but about the input and what would be enough. And actually setting a specific goal and then allowing yourself to only do that and not more. And the trick here with ones is to, to do less. So really just set, it's enough if I read for 15 minutes or it's enough if I make dinner tonight. Like really mm-hmm. setting the conditions and knowing it's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. That kind of ties in with mine was um, I have focus on want to's and not ought to's. Mm. Um, So play, relaxing, celebrating life just as it is. I also think sometimes ones can fall into the cruise director role of like setting up the vacation and where we're going to eat and where we're going to go, what time we're going to be there. And then we have to get this train to get to this airport and you know, all there that is in their back of their mind running while they're just existing. And so like, you know, delegating, even though it seems scary, um, just let some of those things go. And if the other person doesn't do them as well as you would, which they won't, um, <laughs> that's fine. Letting um, it it's, go, yeah. it's just one thing you have off your list or you never had to put on. You just, I'm not, you know, automatically take these things on because you're great at them and yeah. it's a service to other people and you know, the trip will go well, or I'm just using this vacation thing as an example, but yeah, want to's not ought to's. And then I think ones are also very visual people. So if there's things you need to hang up around your house to remind yourself, just have those things like out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing is like, I know ones were like, you know, I liked, I would like to get up and journal every morning, but I don't have the time or I'm not making the time. And it's like, well, if the journal's laying on the floor in front of the you know door to your bedroom, you'll pick it up 
So that might help you. Like little silly things like that will really help. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then one last thing was like um, writing. If you've got a lot of hate, a lot of rage built up and you don't want to let that out, write it down. If you yeah. write it down, it gets out of you. I don't know what happens from writing. And a lot of times, like even I know some ones have gone beyond this. I'm like, burn the paper, mm-hmm. burn it. Just get rid of it. Um, let it go. So that's my yes. last one. I love that. I love the let it go, the acceptance. The I I know so many ones who write furiously, like they take notes in every conversation, and mm-hmm. that like can find them again even sometimes, which always blows my mind because of that that inherent kind of orderliness. But I love that. I love those things. Um, these these key themes of like letting go, welcoming and feeling your feelings and your anger, um, doing less and making sure you know it's enough. Forgot your first two, but they were good too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's more. There's always more, but uh, this is our first episode on ones. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have questions about ones or anything else, um, do feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, and we'd love to have any sort of question, any number related. If you have a an idea or a comment you want to leave, please rate, write, read, 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 review, do yep. all the things. Yeah, well, or an idea for an episode that you want us to do. Um, we're we're just getting going. We're gonna have a lot of good content for you, and we're so happy to have you here. Yep. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap for this week's episode. As always, I'm Lee Milligan. And I'm Karen Burley. And we hope this episode expanded your Enneagram knowledge. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, and leave a review to let us know what most resonated with you. And you can always find us on Instagram at Enneagram Typecast. Stay curious, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Enneagram Typecast.